welcome to the Plan Simple Meals podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, one meal at a time. The Plan Simple Meals podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier, happier home. Listen in for informative conversations and valuable strategies to make meals healthy, meaningful, and fun. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. I am super excited to be back here with you. You guys, I took two weeks off and here's why. I just needed to focus on some key projects. I could have, you know, created an interview or showed up for a solo, but for some reason I had this instinct that I really want this to be such high quality content and for whatever reason I wasn't able to, it didn't click what I should be showing up with. So I'm back. I've mapped out 2018. I am super, super excited for what is to come. Um, You're going to be too. It's all great. I'm kind of going to theme it a little bit differently so we can dive deep into different topics month by month, which I'm hoping that you're going to love. We have some great guests who are going to be on, and today is one of them. And today we have Stephanie Stiavetti. I'm going to say her her name could be so elegant, but Stephanie Stiavetti. And she is, has become a great friend in the past couple of months. We've been working in a very small mastermind group together. And it's been so fun getting to know her. And she is a classically trained chef, which is so fun to talk to because I feel like in this world of health and wellness, there's sort of this divide between people who really know how to cook and then I I should say, and me, (laughs) who cares a lot about the health but was never trained as a chef. So it's really fun to talk to somebody who can talk the chef part, and I think you guys are going to get lots of great strategy about this. Because here's the thing, her whole thing is teaching people, she's sort of moved out of the commercial kitchen, and her thing is to teach people how to be badass cooks, even if at the moment you consider yourself a total failure in the kitchen. And she's got great energy and come visit us on the Plan Simple Meals website to see her picture because she's got great hair. And I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. But before we jump in, I just wanted to quickly give you guys a few announcements and just do a little share. So the past two weeks have been interesting. It took me a minute to recover from the fact that the Flow Planner Kickstarter campaign was not a success. It took me by surprise. But as I reflect back, so many things happened in the world. Possibly the marketing wasn't as clear as it could be. And we're making it anyway. And a bunch of people have moved over from Kickstarter into our shopping cart. If you want to get your hands on the Flow Planner, they will be here in January. And just go to theflowplanner.com and grab your copy or copies. It's 90 days, so you could technically do four in a year. Flow stands for food, lifestyle, um, and work, and it is a way really to create a balanced life on paper so that you actually have a chance at living a balanced life. And I'm super, super excited to get mine. And actually, if you order now, you kind of get more instant gratification than everybody else who pre-ordered because the digital copy is coming out in just a couple of days, so you can actually go to your local Staples or Kinko's and get it printed and wiro bound and have your first 90 days ready to go. Um, either right now or you can wait till the new year if you're wanting to do that. So another thing that's been happening in the past two weeks, and this is just more of a share, is that I don't know if you guys remember, but there was an episode, two episodes actually, one with Di, who's a awesome fitness person who's um, based in uh, CrossFit. His background, I think, is CrossFit, so it's it's not my normal yoga thing. <laughs> and I met him a couple years ago. We became good friends, and actually we became good friends with their whole family. They came and visited us last year in Boston because they were doing a road trip across the country at the same time ours was. Um, super fun. And his wife, Christy, was also on the podcast. So go check out both of those podcasts. I will put them in the show note links over on the Plan Simple Meals website. But right now, I signed up for Dai's first six-week paid course. He's been running these 30-day 
um, resets for a long time that have just been free. And I'm super excited that he has this course. And the funny thing is, is that I was so excited that he's finally charging people for the amazing work he did that I was like, of course I'm going to buy it. So I did. And then, you know, the thing is, is it's, it was a great price. So yes, I put money out there. I think it was 197, but I put money out there, which, which definitely motivates me, right? When I put a little bit of money out on my health, um, it motivates me. And the thing is, is that for the past three years, I've been moving my body. I still go to yoga. I walk regularly, but something has been a little off since I broke my wrist and was recovering from that. Like I never feel like I, I fully got back. Plus I'm getting older, you know, all those things. I'm now over 40 officially. And so I, I really bought this as thinking it was a favor to die in Christie. And then, and, and because I wanted to do it before I officially shared it with you guys, eventually it will be on the market for everyone to have. But so I, I jumped in with that. And then about two days later, my son, he's doing his eighth grade project on fitness and he was having this day and he was trying to figure something out. And I was like, oh my God, like he could do this too. So I, I, so I started printing the things when we got the, I signed up before it actually started. So I was like, do you want to do this? And it was right by his birthday. So, you know, I was like, this is our birthday present. Six weeks, we're going to do this thing. And he was super excited. So each week, it's we're on the third week right now. We're on the fifth day, to be exact, of the third week. We wake up every morning. If I don't wake up, I get poked by my 14-year-old. I think I just said he was 13, but he is actually now 14. And we go downstairs. My husband calls us the elephants because we stomp around for anywhere between 18 to 30 minutes. I'm so sore. It feels so great. It's so fun to do it with my teenage son. So fun. He's really holding me accountable. We're having a great time. And part of the program, it's this exercise, but it involves journaling and meditation. And my son is taking it all on. And it's funny because some of the things that Ty shares are things that I share all the time. And, you know, but your teenage son can't listen to mom. It's much easier to listen to somebody else. So it's just been so fun to watch the transformation. So I'm going to start sharing a bit more about that because I'm realizing how important moving the body is at this time of year. Um, and I think we all, you know, that looks a little bit different for everybody, but I sure am having fun with this program. And, and we just have to be consistent. It's one of those things that we can give ourselves an excuse about, especially at this time of year. So I found it really interesting that this six weeks is going to go right through Christmas. So on Christmas morning, we're going to wake up and we're going to do our 30-minute workout, unless that's a day that the program has built in a break. I don't know yet. But it's just been super, super interesting to just see how amazing it is to consistently move your body. So one of the things that 2018 is going to bring is I'm going to be sharing a lot more about what I'm currently going through. Um, you know, it's always evolving. It's always changing. As my kids get older, they have different needs and wants. Um, and so I want to get us all a little bit more current on that while still teaching all the good stuff that um, I've been teaching. And then a lot more listening and just wanting to know really wanting to know what you guys want to hear, who you want me to interview, or what topics you want to know more about, and I will find the people. Um, it's just, it's such an opportunity. It's so fun to do these interviews, and I would really like them to be as useful as possible to you guys. So the last thing I'm going to share is that I do not have a URL for this, but if you listen now, um, just make sure that you're on the Plan Simple Meals email list, which you can do by going to the website. Um, because I'm going to do a, a 2018 planathon just after Christmas, and I would love you guys to be there. And we're just going to look at sort of the areas of flow of food, lifestyle, um, and work, and really pay attention to what we want those areas to look like and talk about some strategy for making that happen. So if you want to do some planning, which I highly recommend because it makes it makes life it just makes life easier. It makes us more likely to reach the goals that we want to reach. It makes, it means those resolutions aren't to me. Resolutions are kind of like a, a word that I don't, I can't give much meaning to because whenever I set a resolution, it doesn't really happen. But when I make goals and I use some really good technique around that, writing them down, 
reviewing them often, giving myself a break when I need to, um, then I actually feel like I'm making some headway and I start to really feel good in my body. So that was a super long intro and now I definitely want us to get Steph on the line. Hey Steph, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Mia. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you here because you are a for reals or a chef. <laughs> I think we could all hey. use a chef in our life, so yeah. Awesome. I know, I'm married to one, so sometimes I forget that not everybody has that benefit, so yeah. Oh, I wish I was married to a chef sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's not really, in all fair, he's not a professional chef, but everything he's learned, he's learned in a very culinary way, you know, so sometimes my haphazard cooking is a little overwhelming to him as someone who That's is awesome not a trained that. chef. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump in. I'm like, I feel like sometimes I wish that we were doing this on video and showing people stuff, but I think there's so much that you can learn by just listening because I think the cool thing about cooking, and you might not say this as a chef, but maybe you will, is that it's learnable, right? Like we can all learn. Absolutely. Cooking, I mean, people have been cooking since the dawn of time. That's what helped us to evolve, right? As we started cooking over a fire and it made the nutrients and food more available to our bodies. And I mean, honestly, if hunter-gatherer people with minimal tools could cook, there's really no reason that the modern person can't cook as yes. well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, uh, although we probably make it more complicated than we need to with all our tools these days. but um, Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's take a step back for a sec. Have you always... Tell, tell us a little bit of your background. Have you always liked to cook? Did you grow up in a cooking household? Was it a later thing? Like, how did you come into loving to cook? So my background was kind of windy. Um, so I grew up with two grandmas that loved to cook, I think like a lot of people, and then a mom who tried really hard to cook um, and hit the mark occasionally. And then a dad who would just like have us live on waffles if it was his choice. Um, and I loved to cook when I was a little kid. And in fact, I first started baking when I was like eight and I took on these huge projects that most, I think, kids wouldn't even pay attention to. And so, like, I was making patachu cream puffs, and I was making, oh like, divinity as, like, an eight- and nine-year-old, like, by myself in the kitchen because I was a latchkey kid. And I would come home and be super bored, and I would just pull out the copy of my mom's Better Homes and Garden cookbook, which I still have, like, the old binder with the really thin oh pages. Yeah, and who knew that, like, there's a cream puff recipe in there? And I would make these... Uh, you know, crazy huge recipes. And I remember one time uh, I watched a TV show and there was a chef on there. And this was in the 80s. And I actually had to call in to the show to get the recipe, <laughs> you know, and they thought it was hilarious that this 10 year old was calling saying, can I have the the uh, cinnamon roll recipe that you did on the show today? And they thought it was so cute. But what I didn't <laughs> realized at the time was that it was a commercial recipe <laughs> oh my gosh that's so, so funny. when I made it like the dough for the cinnamon rolls like was like so big that it like overtook the table and was like hanging off the edges and it made it like 120 cinnamon rolls. oh my gosh <laughs> and then I actually I stopped cooking because I hit puberty mm. and cooking's not cool video games are cool and so I stopped cooking for a long time and then I hit my mid-20s and I you know I was like a young urban professional working in a tech career and living on burritos and takeout and, you know, d the dim sum place next door. And my cholesterol was like 320. And I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty small person. Um, but like my body, I, I took for granted the fact that I was a, a slim person and I just mm. ate whatever. And my body just fell apart in my mid twenties and uh, I developed ulcerative colitis and it tried to kill me for a couple of years there. I was in and out of hospitals. And I realized that all the stuff the doctors were doing was actually making me a lot sicker. And at some point, it occurred to me that if I wanted to survive into my 30s, I was going to have to learn to feed myself again. And having not cooked for a really long time, it was a huge struggle. And I remember thinking that I couldn't do this. Um, I was just going to basically live on steamed vegetables forever because that's all I knew how to do was like throw veggies in a steamer. And mm. uh, I remember being super dissatisfied and sad and actually feeling really like bad as a person that I didn't know how to feed myself. And so um, I kind of just decided one day that I'd had enough and I was done with this and I was tired of eating like crappy takeout and I was tired of eating just like the dregs of what I had in the refrigerator and I learned to cook and then I loved it so much that I went on to culinary 
culinary school and I went on to pastry school and I worked in restaurants and now I teach other people how to cook with my top priority being helping women especially uh, develop self-esteem in the kitchen because I know what it feels like to have like zero confidence in the kitchen and feel like a bad human because you can't even feed yourself and you know to feel like a bad adult because like come on you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s and you can't cook and it feels really heavy inside yeah and it's interesting it's it's like there's all these things I I find come up in your 20s 30s and then you know I'm just I'm 40 and it's like cooking and money and you know just so many like things that we just don't learn like what are we learning in school (laughs) that you really totally you really the skills you really need um and we do we feel so much guilt around that especially with our when you know yeah, it's just so easy to feel so much guilt around that. So can, I want to go back a second because it's really interesting to me that you made the the connection between food and not feeling well. Did you how how did that happen? Did the did any doctor give you any hint? <laughs> like did you just have this gut like this feeling that the food was going to help? Like how did you make that connection? Well, it was interesting because in my case, like I got really sick. I was sick for a couple years, kind of moderately sick and nobody knew what was wrong. I just felt awful all the time. Like I would just get like randomly nauseous um, and not be able to leave the house because I just couldn't move. I was so nauseous or like I couldn't digest food. Like I developed GERD. So like my esophagus had started to erode away somewhat. So I couldn't even swallow. Mm. And every time I went to the doctor, they were like, I don't know take some pills. And, you know, I think I had asked a couple of times, like, is this a food thing? And they were like, no, it's an immuno problem. It has nothing to do with food. You can eat whatever you want. Like we find that dairy tends to, uh, you know, cause problems for some people, but that was like all they gave me. (laughs) And in fact, I remember telling a doctor once, like I was healthy as a kid and I grew up on like horrible, like convenience food, like TV dinners and canned green beans. Like, I don't think I had a fresh green bean until I was in my twenties. And my doctor actually said, well, why don't you just go back to eating like that if you felt better then oh my god yeah <laughs> wow and and so when you did change your food which clearly wasn't because of the doctors not that there aren't good ones in the world but anyway <laughs> um we'll leave it at that uh how long did it take you to get better well my condition had degraded to the point where I mean I couldn't digest anything yeah like I would eat food and then it would leave my body within a couple hours and I was bleeding profusely because ulcerative colitis is you know, form of internal bleeding in your colon. And like, it was, it was pretty bad. It actually took a lot of work with an acupuncturist and a naturopath to get my Mm -hmm. digestive system to the point where I actually could digest the food I was eating. Um, Because like even simple things like starches uh, were really tough for me and vegetables, like not even like (laughs) they're like, I couldn't eat any fruits or vegetables for a long time just because um, they're really difficult to digest for a compromised immune system. Right. And so what my naturopath had me doing was making these really healing stews and I'm not vegan. I do eat meat. Um, And so what she had me doing was making stews that involved like some, you know, stew meat, um, some vegetables, some really like healing foods and then cooking them forever, like in a slow cooker so that they were essentially pre-digested. So I was able to get all the nutrients in the, in these stews um, and they were in a form that my body could actually digest. So it took me, gosh, maybe a year and a half, two years to be able to actually digest food again. That's how far gone my digestive system was. Yeah. Wow. And so, and, and now are you eating normal? Like for you, normal for you? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's great. And you know, it's, my condition is also stress uh, triggered. So like when life hits the fan, um, my digestive system tends to go with it. Right. Right. But uh, for the most part, like I feel really great. In fact, um, I've started taking, you know, when I do have trouble uh, eating greens, which I love, my body really does not like greens, sadly, Mm. and you need them to live. But I found that uh, I use the yeah, uh, Enzymetica digest basic digestive enzymes, and mm-hmm. I take that before I eat any vegetables, and I can digest them so much better. Interesting. So that's yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that any doctor would say go back to TV dinners. I'm stuck on that. But anyway, so let's move on. Right. <laughs> so, so so you got healthy, <laughs> you became a chef. Um, yes. Hopefully by then you could eat some of your food, which is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so I'm just, I'm sitting here because you guys, we're going to share in the show notes, Steph's amazing cooking sheets that I ordered a couple weeks ago. And I'm 
I actually had left them wrapped because I'm giving them to my husband for Christmas, but um, I took them out for this call so I could reference them. <laughs> yay! Um, yay, because they're so beautiful. Thank so, you. Actually, so can we, before I was going to hop into sauces, but before I hop into that, because I think that, I think that knowing what to put on things is a really helpful tool. But before we hop into there, are there five things that you think we need in our kitchen just to make it easier? Well, do you mean like ingredients or cooking implements? No, cooking tools. Uh, Are there like, is there there like where, especially now that we're coming up on, this is going to air before Christmas. So we could even ask for the things possibly like, are there five, like, like, what do you really need to be either have in your kitchen or to be maybe good in your kitchen that maybe isn't good in your kitchen? Yeah, actually there's, you know, there's like, I actually have a list on my website that people can download. Uh, We can put that in the show notes as well if you're interested. Um, And it's like, I have this like list broken down into must have, nice to have, and then really don't need. um, Because I find that a lot of people actually get super confused when they have too many implements in their kitchen and they don't know what to use and it causes drama. Um, So I would say off the top of my head, the five things you need in the kitchen more than anything else, like you need a solid, like stainless steel frying pan and not a nonstick one, but like an yep. actual frying pan. I'd say for the average person, like a nine to 10 inch will work great. Uh, it needs to be big enough so that you don't crowd your pan, which just ends up steaming everything you're cooking. Um, another one would be a nonstick frying pan about the same size because uh, there's some things that just don't do well in a regular like stainless steel pan. Like for example, um, eggs are really difficult to cook in a stainless steel frying pan and in nonstick, it's just so much easier. Um, you need a really good spatula and I prefer to use these wooden paddles. They're French, but you can find them anywhere at most cooking stores and they're like two bucks, $3. So instead of a wooden spoon, it's like a paddle with a flat edge. So you can really scrape the bottom of that of your frying pans without damaging them. Um, yeah. And it helps to really, like if you're making like a sauce to really, you know, get the sticky stuff off the bottom. Mm. Um, you need a hand blender, which a lot of people I think uh, don't really think about, but a hand blender changed my life because... Tell me what, define a hand blender. Is that the thing with the two little metal things that you stick in the, is that what a hand blender is? <laughs> yeah. So a hand blender is like, a, it's just a stick blender, right? You've seen them. They look like oh, it is a, long... it's the stick, like the white yeah, yeah. stick that just has one thing at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So it's okay. like the long narrow thingy. It's got like a little blade at the end and those blades tend to be bloodthirsty. Um, so yeah. they, they're actually really super effective. Um, and like those things are amazing because like if you're making a soup, you just stick the thing in your pot and then you've got like a creamy soup. Like you yeah. can emulsify sauces Salad dressings. I mean, a stick blender was for well, was a surprise game changer in my yep. kitchen. I got one when I was like 28, and I was like, "How did I live without this? It's kind of amazing." Mm. Um, and then the other thing is a really solid chef's knife, like an eight-inch yeah. with a with a good cutting board. Uh, yeah. Because I see people they go out and they spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on knives and I'm a knife nut I get it I have like 30 kitchen knives because I think they're beautiful but really like you only need one and like when if you're just learning how to cook or if you're not super confident in the kitchen having all these extra knives in the kitchen can be novel but it will actually stymie your process your flow because you're probably using the wrong knife for the wrong tool or for the wrong job and ultimately your eight inch chef's knife is going to be your best friend it'll cut anything like use it for chopping use it for um like pairing like or not pairing but for like you know dismantling like meat um it's by far the most important implement in your kitchen and i see people that are always trying to do the wrong job with the knife they've got and they struggle with it and worse they cut themselves and ultimately your eight inch chef's knife like you you want a really good one um like wustoff makes a great eight inch chef's knife global if you're smaller and you want a lighter knife the global eight inch chef's knife is a joy to use oh cool we'll link that up and i think my husband showed me once that like i don't know if this is true but i've gone with this ever since but if the 
the if it's a good knife then the blade continues like through the handle is that true you know so absolutely a lot of times yeah. bad knives they end like that's a good way to know <laughs> if your knife yeah, is good yeah, or bad sure. and an- another really important thing to keep in mind is ergonomics right so wustoff knives tend to be like big burly german knives and global knives tend to be like lighter thinner uh, more japanese style knives and so like if you're like a six foot tall dude then you're like that wustoff's going to be like super great in your hand but if you're like me and you're like a five four hundred and ten pound woman like that wustoff is a little unwieldy and especially if you're short like the angle of yep. the handle might be awkward and it might just not be great for your arm because it's heavy so what i generally tell people to do is if you go to a cooking store like william sonoma or sir la Taube or every pun intended any cooking store worth their salt <laughs> <laughs> I had to fit that in there. Um, they will let you play with the knives beforehand. They actually have vegetables there for chopping and a cutting board. And they will let you pull out like the knives that you're considering buying and chop with them right there in the store. So you can pick the one that feels really good. And a lot of people go in and they're kind of embarrassed and they don't want to ask. But if you're going to spend anywhere from 60 to $200 on a knife, like you want to use that knife before you buy it and make sure you're buying the right one. Yeah. So absolutely go in and take advantage of that opportunity to try them out. And they'll even make suggestions um, depending on like your needs. Like they can recommend knives for you and you can try them out right there. Yeah, I love that. And the, the other thing that I can't live without is my Vitamix. But besides that, my list is pretty similar. (laughs) Sounds like a lawnmower, but it just gets work done. (laughs) It is so good. Yeah. Is there a quieter one that does the same thing? I've had it for so long. I'm just sort of biased, but. I have an old Vitamix. Like my Vitamix is from probably 2005. Um, Yeah, but it's But it still works though. Like these things last forever. I've heard that the new ones are quieter, but what? My cats can tolerate the stress for two minutes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, and so can my kids, like, since they were little. My my kids always joke that I should have called my cookbook noisy noisy food. Noisy food? That's hilarious. <laughs> but I, I didn't call it that. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So I keep avoiding the sauce thing, so I think we're going to get back to that again. Because I also am intrigued by, in your healing foods, you used a the, cro- the slow cooker, like crock pot situation, or were you mm-hmm. all stove? So do you still do that? Or as a chef, is that like, no, no, no. Do you still? Well, use- so I, I love my, so I, as a chef, any tool that encourages creativity is awesome. Right. And like yep. the reality is that the slow cooker is just another way to cook. And yep. you can, I love the idea that I can throw a bunch of stuff in there and then I come home and like dinner's ready. It's like past me, like made dinner for future me. And I love past me at that moment in time, you know, yeah. like yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like I totally got my stuff together. And uh, like even, so here's the thing about most chefs, I think is that often the, uh, what's that saying? The cobbler's kids have no shoes. Yes. So like, I know a lot of chefs that like cook beautiful food and then they go home and then they just like live on eggs and toast. And I'm yeah. one of those people because when I spend my life cooking for other people, the last thing I want to do when I come home is cook yeah. for myself. Right. So, um, my slow cooker is amazing. And honestly, like you can, you can produce some incredible food in a slow cooker. Like I made a couple weeks ago, I made a pulled pork, uh, that was like mind blowing in my mm. slow cooker. And it was like, 20 minutes worth of work. And so, so listen to me. I've like never, people ask me about this all the time because I talk a lot about cooking in advance and doing things in advance. But usually for me, what that means is I either chop everything or I'm pretty infatuated. Actually, the other thing I would have added to that list is the pressure cooker. So I'm pretty much Mm. obsessed with my pressure cooker. Um, And so sometimes I'll like pressure cook beans or soup in the morning and then deal with it when I get back, <laughs> you know, when I get oh, home totally. in the afternoon. But I've never, it's funny, I've never, I've never, I need to deal with the pressure. I need to deal with the slow cooker this winter because I'm very curious about what I could do with it. So as a chef, like I love any cooking implement or tool that encourages creativity, right? And a crock pot is an incredible tool, especially for people who are A, really busy, or be kind of learning like how to cook or how to become like a better cook because like people are buying like these instant pots and the instant pot is incredible, but it's kind of complicated. Like I know when I got my instant pot, I was pushing the buttons and I was like, what the heck? Um, But a crock pot literally has two settings. It's like warm and hot. And so it's great because for somebody who's really busy, you can just throw a ton of stuff in there, turn it on, walk away and you have dinner couple hours later 
you can get really fancy with it if you want. Like if you want to kind of go above and beyond, you can take your vegetables before you make your stew and you can brown them in a frying pan so that they get nice and crispy and they get that like brownie Maillard reaction that gives you that like super like umami rich flavor. Um, or, but you don't have to do that. You can literally just throw your vegetables and everything else in a crock pot, turn it on and walk away. So I personally love the crock pot because it's so easy and it requires like, unless you really want to like dive deep, it requires like zero learning curve. Like all yeah. you need is a solid recipe with enough salt um, and enough moisture. You throw it in and bam, you're done. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so scared of it. I don't have a microwave either. So maybe it's just me and like button things, <laughs> but I am also <laughs> obsessed with the Instapot, which I don't have yet, but am equally as intrigued. Cause that is a, that is my pressure cooker plus an in, Plus a slow cooker, right? Plus yeah. an ice cream maker. Is that true? Is that what it yeah. is? So all the different models do different things. And I actually, I'll be honest, like I have an Instant Pot, but I, I, I haven't really used it because it's kind of complicated. And it's not that I'm afraid of complicated things, but rather it's like, I don't have time to sit down and learn it, right? Yeah. Like I have to figure this thing out. But I need to because a ton of people are coming to me asking me about the Instant Pot and the best way to use it. And I feel really silly not being able to answer their questions. So I'm going to be diving into the Instant Pot in the next couple months. Yeah, cool. All right. So I am staring at one of your beautiful, amazing cheat sheets right now, which, by the way, you, you started off by saying that you used to take your mom's binder, right, that had the recipes yeah. in it. So I find it's very funny that your cheat, because her cheat sheets, you guys, are laminated in super thick, like beautiful lamination so like your kids couldn't rip it or get it dirty or you couldn't either and they could fit in a binder so it's so cool and anyone who's been around me a long time knows that I love a good binder because I'm always putting things in binders so (laughs) (laughs) so can we talk sauces so you have this sheet about a compound butter which might be the place to start I don't know But I just find it intriguing that, like, I feel like a lot of times we're wanting to make tasty food. We're wanting to make it quickly, obviously, you know, I think for the most part, we want to make it quickly. Um, I fight that a little bit myself because, like, I also want to show my kids that food can't be, like, isn't always right there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, whatever. I don't want to take all day. I'm not dumb. So... How, like t- let's how do sauces play in because personally as a not cook I always thought that you were supposed to like make the sauce with the food so my husband has since corrected me on that but it's still like a somewhat like confusing thing for me to navigate like when am I just sauteing in olive oil like when does the sauce get added so I became a huge fan of a grain bowl where like I'll make rice I'll make some beans or some chicken or something and I'll make a ton of different roasted veggies and I'll let everybody put what they want in it and then I'll make a sauce in the Vitamix because that's sort of my go-to sauce place. <laughs> um, I just throw you know nuts and herbs and everything in a Vitamix and people will pour it over their grain. My kids will pour it over their grain bowls. But I'm so in- intrigued by this idea that you guys, it's this chart, and it's like what the main dish is, if it's veggies or rice or potatoes or any kind of, there's different animal proteins, and then it's paired with an herb and spices, which is so cool. So, like, tell me how this fits into the whole meal. Sure. So, sauces are actually really flexible. Um, it's surprising, like, what is actually considered a sauce. So, when I was in culinary school, um, you know, they teach you, like, all these mother sauces, Um but then what you realize somewhere along the way is that mayonnaise is a sauce. And you're like, oh, interesting. Like, <laughs> butter is a sauce. And you're like, oh, that's interesting as well. Like, because you, I think a lot of people think of sauces as like a pan sauce, something you make in the pan, like with the fond, like the leftover, like little, um, like, you know, cooked bits on the bottom. Um, or a sauce could be, you know, like a bechamel, which is something you make completely independently of your main dish, right? Which right. in a bechamel, you have like, you know, it's milk and flour and butter. Um, and then you add other stuff to it to flavor it. So sauce is pretty much anything that adds moisture to your food, right? So like right. when you're basting, when you're basting something to add moisture, like in, you're actually saucing it um, along the way. And so I developed these compound butter ratios because like my goal is to build a foundation, right? Like I'm, I have plans to build a new 
like cheat sheet set every quarter, which will like expand on like what I talk in the prior set. Mm -hmm. So this first set is like super easy. And I wanted to start with compound butters because this is like literally the world's easiest sauce. So when, and when I say butter, like you can easily use like a vegan alternative, like earth balance um, or some other like, you know, oil that is somewhat solid at room temperature. And basically what you do is you take this butter or butter alternative, and then you mix in some sort of flavoring. So I've got this chart here and it's got like all the different things that you would cook and what flavors would go with them. And I've got some meat proteins on here. I've also got some like, you know, vegetables, rice, beans, potatoes, fruits and desserts. Uh, so like a good example would be beans, right? So if you're making a bean dish and you want to add a sauce to your bean dish, um, like what I've got here, like the fresh chopped herbs that would go well with beans would be chives, sauteed garlic, oregano, parsley, rosemary, sage, or thyme. And then some ground spices that would go with the beans would be like cardamom, chili powder, like curry powder, uh, smoked paprika, that sort of thing. And the way that this cheat sheet works is you would look down this list and be like, okay, so I'm making beans. And then you'd come over and you'd say, oh, I have some garlic. So I'm going to pick sauteed garlic from this section. And then, oh, you know what? I've actually got a little bit of curry powder in the cover the cabinet. I'm going to grab a little bit of curry powder. You plunk it into this ratio that I've offered, which is a quarter pound of butter plus three tablespoons of fresh herbs plus one teaspoon of spices. So you would have your beans and then you would have a quarter pound, one stick of butter. You would have three tablespoons of sauteed garlic. You would have one teaspoon of curry powder. You would mix it all together because it's butter and it's easy. Uh, you can use a fork or a potato masher. And then what you do is you just roll it in plastic wrap so it creates like a roll like a tube throw it in the fridge uh till it solidifies and then you just slice it into slices and you take one little slice of this and you put it on your hot food and it melts this beautiful like flavoring like sauce over your food and the reason why butter oh my god that's or, so easy that's not even what i imagined <laughs> so yeah, glad you explained like, that I love it's like that. literally the world's easiest sauce and I love it. I think I even titled the cheat sheet the world's easiest sauce. Yeah. And you don't even have to cook it. And the cool thing about it and the reason why it works so well is butter or fat or any butter alternative, um, that's what carries flavor, right? So that's why fatty things taste so good because a lot of flavor compounds are fat soluble. So what happens is you add a flavorant like garlic to fat, that flavor disperses evenly and effectively in the fat. And then when it coats over your tongue like that flavor washes over your tongue in a really efficient way that your body can pick up really easily mm -hmm. so that's why it's these are so delicious with like zero work yeah and you could probably use coconut oil right because it absolutely solidifies. yeah yeah i mean pretty yeah. much anything that is kind of uh that will solidify at um refrigerator temperatures and will stay somewhat solid at room temperature um otherwise it'd be really difficult to work work with but right. I mean in some cases like if you really wanted to you could make you could even take like an olive oil um, and put it in the fridge like after mixing in the herbs because it solidifies but it would be difficult to work with at room temperature but I mean if you really want to use olive oil or like say sunflower oil you could mix the herbs with the oil uh, put it in the fridge so it solidifies and just use a little scooper to scoop out and throw it on top of your right. main dish well, and it's funny because I it's it's not so dissimilar from what I do in my rice bowls, which is but I use cashews, so I'll use cashews, chopped herbs, and some sort of spice, and I just throw it all in the Vitamix. You could totally um, do that, and then and wrap then, it up in a tube and yeah, put it in the fridge. Yeah, I, mine just ends up going in a jar, but it, it does end up getting. It starts off like liquid, and I always mean for it to be liquid, but by the time it's in the fridge, it's more like you need a spoon. Yeah. Well, the so. cool thing about compound butters is it actually, so for as easy as it is, if you want to get fancy, you can. So what yeah. I've done in the past in restaurants is like you take your soft butter with the herbs or whatever mixed into it, you throw it in a piping bag and you can just pipe out little stars or flowers and throw them in the mm. fridge. You serve your dinner, you're like, here's your flower. And people are it like, it blows their mind. Interesting. That's cool. Um, okay. So then one other thing from the cheat sheets, which is oils. We're staying with fats yes. right now. So this is like something, this was new to me actually, um, because my husband explained to me that I couldn't always use olive oil, <laughs> which was pretty much my plan. But like, I guess they can't all get as hot, right? Is that true? 
That's true. So different oils have different smoke points. And like a couple things happen when you max a oil smoke point. And A is that it doesn't taste Taste, great. Right. Does it get bitter? Is that what it is? It, It can. It depends on the oil, like different kinds of oils. Like if you're using like a nut oil versus like an olive oil versus like, um, you know, like an animal fat, like they all taste differently when they kind of max that point. And like, it's important to point out that the smoke point is different than the flash point. So the smoke point is the temperature at which it begins to burn. The flash point is the temperature at which it actually catches on fire, which you don't want to get anywhere near the flash point because then you've yes. got a kitchen emergency. Right. But the other thing that happens when you max an oil smoke point is that it causes oxidative damage to the oil um, mm. and rancid oil is not good for your body. Right. Like I'm not a nutritionist, so I'm, I'm hesitant to really comment on like free radical damage because uh, somebody out there is going to school me on it. But like in working with, you know, naturopaths and dietitians in the past, um, like free radical damage from rancid oil and burnt oil is actually a real problem. And, you know, once or twice is it going to hurt you, but like continually yeah. burning your oil year after year after year, not great for your body. Yeah. Interesting. And so, Generally, what you want to do is you look, I have this chart here, and what it, it basically says, like, if you're cooking to this temperature, um, you want to use pretty much the oils below this point, right? So, like, if you pretty much, like, the safest oil to use across the board is, like, safflower oil. Or avocado. Or avocado oil. Like, I personally use sunflower oil uh, because mm. it's got a really sort of neutral flavor. It doesn't really flavor anything. And you can cook that thing to 440, which means you could even, if you're watching your oil and not letting it get too, too hot, like, you could even fry in it. Mm. Uh, there's a, Basically, the oils that are safe to use are uh, corn oil, peanut oil, sunflower oil, rice bran oil, safflower oil, which I try to avoid, avocado oil, which is kind of expensive. Um, and then They have heat- it at Costco. Do Just they? FYI, yes. That's how, that's why we have it. <laughs> oh, or they have organic avocado oil at Costco in very big glass bottles. Well, that's great because you yeah. can actually cook avocado oil to 520 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so here's a dumb question. Like, because you're way more scientific than I am in terms of that. Like, how do you know? Like, how do, how do, how do we know how hot oils are getting? Well, so generally, if you're cooking... Um, like so if you're if you're cooking with like a like a fryer right mm-hmm. like generally you want to keep your fry oil between 350 and 400 mm-hmm. right and if you're not paying attention i mean that fry oil is going to like way surpass 400 degrees and go into 450 okay because um, people tend to fry over really high temperatures and if they're not managing that oil temperature it can easily get out of control um got it but if you're just like pan frying or sauteing in your frying pan, like you can expect those temperatures to eclipse the boiling point, which is 212 degrees pretty quickly, right? So generally you don't want to cook anything um, in a frying pan with an oil that won't last over 350 degrees because the problem is not that uh, what the normal cooking temperature is for that method of cooking, but rather what happens when you're not paying attention well and interestingly enough i'm looking at the chart and olive oil and butter which i think are two things that a lot of people you know pull pull the most are at the really low end right butter shouldn't be above 302 and olive olive oil is 320 so that's like yeah that's like you pretty much shouldn't cook with it (laughs) pretty much yeah so butter will burn like that like and the problem is that butter has a lot of like milk solids in it but if you're cooking with butter, and I know that a lot of uh, like people out there that are super health conscious are probably already aware of this ingredient, uh, but ghee, which is clarified butter, has had all those milk solids removed. And you can buy it at the store. You can make it yourself. Basically, you just sort of gently simmer the butter, and then you scoop off uh, the, the the schmutz at the bottom. Um, and then you have ghee. And clarified butter actually has a smoke point of 485 degrees. And so yeah. you'll notice a lot of like Indian cooks uh, cooking with with ghee and clarified butter um, with no drama whatsoever. And also a lot of naturopaths and acupuncturists um, suggest that. Yeah, ghee's great. Yeah. And it's stable at room temperature too. Um, it's funny. A lot, and, of people, I mean, it's... a lot of people thought my daughter who can't have dairy should be able to have ghee, I guess, because it's has healing properties or is so clarified or I don't even know why but um but she can't so she gets sick <laughs> she gets oh, sick no. with that too so oh. I, it's funny I always wanted to adopt it and like it but we can't use it 
Yeah, and I'm always bummed to tell people that you can't, like, cook with olive oil, right? You can yeah. under some circumstances. I mean, honestly, if you're, like, watching your saute like a hawk and it doesn't surpass 300 degrees, you can probably do it. But I wouldn't recommend it because what's going to happen is, like, your timer is going to go off. You're going to walk over to your timer and click the little boop, 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 and then you're going to think, oh... Do I need to reset the timer? And in that time, you have surpassed 320 degrees into 350. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. Oh, my gosh. So I'm just flipping through these and being totally distracted because it's so cool. So everyone has to go get these cheat sheets because they're just great. They're so good. Um, and they go in a binder, which makes it even better. And Target has a really good flowery binders. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny you mentioned the binder thing, the better homes and gardens cookbook that I work with and I never put those two together so that's a fun connection thanks for that <laughs> that's funny I love it it is funny I'm like I totally went home with this <gasps> oh my god I just found a new sheet talk about sauces salad dressings yes that's my favorite one. Oh my gosh so guys, yeah you have to get this almost just for the salad dressing thing because we all need to be able to make really good salad dressings we're the only country in the world who has so much store-bought salad dressing. Oh gosh, and like whenever us. I read the ingredients in a bottle of salad dressing, I want to cry. It's so crazy. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> you know, I always have to watch out for gluten and dairy. And so, I don't know, I think it was like three years ago, I was in France and we had, we had just arrived and I don't remember what it was, like a holiday or it was late at night or something was wrong. Something wasn't normal. <laughs> so we couldn't, like, and we were starving. So we went to like, you know, a hole in the wall in Paris, which, you know, can't complain too much in Paris. And <laughs> I just remember asking the guy, because it was basically the equivalent of going to like a pub here, right? So a pub in the U.S. most definitely does not make their own dressing unless it's like a really cool one, you know, microbrewery or something. And so I, I asked, I was like, well, I just want to make sure that there's no gluten in your salad dressing because we put a lot of, you know, thickeners in our salad dressings here. And the, the man just looked at me like I was insane. He's like, <laughs> we make our own salad dressing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, forgot. We're not wah, here. Wah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I think it's a really good tool. <laughs> but a lot of people tell me that they get sick of salads. And I think part of that is the dressing. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, so I was raised in a family that subsisted almost completely on like convenience food. So like salad dressing was just something like making salad dressing was like, what? You must be one of those crazy rich people. Right. And so it's the funny thing, the irony of it is that making salad dressing is actually infinitely cheaper than buying it at the grocery store. So yeah. when I go, I've got two um, cheat sheets here. Uh, I've got one that teaches you how to make creamy dressings and another teaches you how to make vinaigrettes. And the format of these is there's basic ratio. And then there's there's these tables of ingredients and you literally pick an ingredient from this table, you pick an ingredient from this table, you pick an ingredient from this table, you mix them together and bam, you're done. And the cool thing about it is when I started making my own salad dressings, not only did I start liking salad because salad was just not part of my family culture growing up. Like it was the salad we had was literally like, you know, browned iceberg lettuce and then like an out of season pink tomato, you know, real delicious. <laughs> And so I, I hated salad growing up and this made me excited about salad because I can make whatever I want without spending a ton of money and without really compromising my eating values. You know, like you go to the grocery store and you look in the ingredient list for, you know, a bottle of ranch and not only is there gluten, which is weird and ranch, but there's like a ton of emulsifiers and nat yeah. unnatural flavoring and uh, coloring dyes, you know, yeah. like generally not great eats. And there is no reason to a spend that much money on salad dressing or be compromise your health, you know? Yeah. So like with this ratio, it's like four parts base, one part acid and then extra flavor, which means you take four parts mayonnaise, or yogurt or sour cream or any vegan version of any of these. One part acid, so you throw in one part balsamic vinegar, champagne vinegar, even apple cider vinegar or lemon juice. Maybe throw in some miso paste if you're interested, some hot sauce or some sesame oil. Mix it together and you're done. And you've got like mm -hmm. a basic salad dressing. And they've also got these examples here. Um, because the ratio for a creamy salad dressing is flexible. Like you can basically make it however it tastes good to you. And so for my examples here, I've got recipes for Thousand Island, blue cheese, ranch dressing, green goddess, Caesar dressing. And then my favorite 
which is that Persian salad dressing that you get whenever you go to a Persian restaurant. I love it. It's so mm. good. And it's literally half a cup of mayo or half a cup of yogurt, quarter cup of sour cream, a little bit of mayo, white vinegar and mint and garlic. And that's it. And then you've got like this incredible, incredible salad dressing. But I think that the one thing most people miss with their salad dressings and why they fail to hit the mark is because people don't salt their salad dressing. Mm. Right. So they make this beautiful salad dressing, throw it on fresh vegetables, and they're like, meh, the stuff at the grocery store tastes better. And it's the only difference is salt. And I think sometimes yeah. sugar. Yeah. I mean, they do add a lot of sugar to the stuff. Like, So I have a thing for the Brianna's dressing uh, that's got the big strawberry on the front. Like, I love that dressing, mm. even though it's really not great for you. Um, and it's crazy sweet. Like, it is probably sweeter than it's as sweet as a bowl of ice cream for me mm. uh so i've actually gone ahead and recreated like a recipe i have somewhere where the, the sweetness is actually drastically reduced and it actually tastes better because suddenly you get all the like tart notes and the yeah. you know other ingredients in there um but the big difference honestly the thing that keeps people coming back to bottled salad dressing is salt. And so yeah. I was working with a student once and she was like, oh, I wanna show you the salad dress that I'm making. She's like, I don't know what's wrong with it. And she made it. There was not like a pinch of salt in there. And I was like, oh, well, if you're making two cups of salad dressing, you wanna add at least a half a teaspoon of salt. And she was blown away. She's like, why would you salt salad dressing? And I was like, well, let's salt it. And so you can find out. And like her face lit up. Oh, like cool. she was just, yeah, it blew her mind. Like when I was in culinary school um, or when I was in pastry school, like I was working with these students as, as another student, um, but I'd already gone through culinary school. So I had some experience and we we're making uh, just whipped cream, just like whipped cream with sugar. And I went to throw some salt in and they were like, why would you salt your whipped cream? Mm. And I was like, well, let's find out. So I taste it now. And they tasted it. I threw in some salt and, like, it blew their mind that salting yeah. whipped cream was, like... I it, actually it put a pinch of salt into my smoothie every morning. I do, Isn't too. I'm so glad you said that, <laughs> because I do, too. And I had a friend staying here, and she thought I was crazy. And I was like, the difference is outstanding. And I use Himalayan pink sea salt, so I actually think there's something to that. I don't even know what it is. But anyway, we won't be doctors right now. But anyway, someone told me once that it actually does something. Really? But but it does something to the taste too. I mean, it's amazing. Just like sort of offsets. And I'll add this to like a smoothie that is either super fruity or chocolate even, you know, raw cacao because that's the way I start my morning a lot. Um, and it's just delicious, just a pinch of salt. And then on the flip side in salad dressings, if it's feeling too bitter or whatever, my little secret thing is I add a teeny bit of maple syrup. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, it's funny, like little, like sweet can counteract sort of some negative flavors and salt can also counteract yeah. some negative flavors. So if you add too much sweet, you can actually add salt that'll reduce the sweetness. Yeah. It. And like, honestly, I get so many questions about salting and seasoning that the next cheat sheet set is going to include a guide on how to salt your food because it's so important. Yeah. I love that. All right. So everyone yeah. now can make a butter salad dressing. We know what tools we need in our kitchen. We can all ask for knives for Christmas. I don't know if that's weird, but we could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or a blender or hand blender. That could even fit in a stocking. We could get really clever. Yeah, you can get a hand blender for like 30 bucks off Amazon. My husband and I looked at our cutting boards the other day. and We have always had really good knives, and he keeps them super sharp, which I think is important, like the upkeep of knives, which is not something that I do, but he does. Um, and... But cutting boards, we need new cutting boards. That's definitely on my list. Can I just, can I share a safety note because it's really important to me? Yes, please. So the number one thing that makes me cringe in a kitchen when I work with a student is that they don't secure the cutting board. And so they have this cutting board and they're cutting and the cutting board is sliding all over the place. Mm. And I can't tell you like how drastically that increases the chances of you cutting yourself really, really badly. So what you can do is you can just take a wet paper towel or a wet washcloth, wet it, wring it out, and put it underneath your cutting board to hold it in place. Or what I do is I went to Target and I have, you, know, you can buy those um, 
those things for lining your cabinets. It's like the rubber slippy sheet yeah. and I just cut it into like little six inch by four inch rectangles. And I put that underneath my cutting board, but please everybody secure your cutting board because it breaks my heart when somebody cuts off the tip of their finger. <laughs> oh my God, me too. And as you know, we, we delayed this podcast because I was in a classroom with 18 third graders with knives. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was very nerve wracking. <laughs> I wish I had secured their cutting boards. <laughs> I have, I have one that has little rubber things, so it stays. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Mine are just like flat, so they slide everywhere. And I remember when I was in culinary school, my chef was like, hold on, let me show you something. And it was one of those little things where I was like, oh, derp. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there's one question at the end, which I ask every guest. But before I do that, will you tell us how we can get in touch with you or get these sheets? Like, because everyone should give them to somebody for Christmas. Sure. So my website is fearlessfresh.com. I have a food blog there where I teach people how to cook. I add new content every week. Um, I have a mailing list where, you know, I you get special content every week. But if you want to pick up the cheat sheets, my store is at shop.fearlessfresh.com. And I've got the cheat sheets. I've got gift certificates that make a great last minute gift idea. You can just buy a gift certificate and email it to somebody. Um, if it's like a week before Christmas and you're like, oh, my God, I forgot so-and-so. Um, but I've also got a bundle. So the cheat sheets come both in a physical laminated format, but they also come in digital because I understand that some people like to cook with their iPad. And the bundle gives you both the physical and the digital copies along with a refrigerator magnet that gives all the safe cooking temperatures for different kinds of food to keep prevent food poisoning, which is super important. Um, and then I also have a Facebook group. So if you go to Facebook and you search for Fearless Fresh kitchen ninjas that's a little group I put together of people that love cooking um, that I put there because I was getting so many cooking questions that I couldn't keep up and so I actually offer free on the fly cooking coaching and question answering so if you have a cooking question like I'd like to be totally available when you need me uh, and that Facebook group is how I was able to manage sort of the growth of my business and all these questions I was getting. So I'm in there regularly. I've got other professional chefs that hang out in there to answer cooking questions. So if you are cooking and especially, you know, Christmas dinner coming up, I know it's really stressful for a lot of people uh, to be cooking a holiday meal for their family. Um, the Kitchen Ninja Facebook group is the place to be to get your cooking questions answered. I love that. Um, so everyone go check her out because it's really good not to be stressed out in the kitchen. I think. <laughs> um, okay, so the last question that I ask everybody is: Tell us about a meal that had a big impact on you. It could have been because of the food, the company, or some aha you had while at the table. Oh my goodness! So I come from sort of a complicated family, and as such, I don't really spend the holidays with my family anymore. And you know, for a little while there, I was feeling sort of orphaned on the holidays, um, which, you know, orphaned is kind of an overdramatic term to use. But, you know, that's how it feels when you're, mm. the holidays are approaching and you're like, I have nowhere to go. Yeah. And so my, one of my best friends and actually the co-author of my cookbook, uh, I wrote a book called Melt, The Art of Macaroni and Cheese. Um, I wrote it with Garrett McCord, who was my writing partner at first. And we've become essentially brother and sister over the years. And so now I spend the holidays with him um, and his family. And I have to say that like being so welcomed into another person's family, like the food is incredible, right? Cause Garrett and I both cook for a living, mm -hmm. but the food almost doesn't matter at that point because I go in there and it's me and my boyfriend and I'm there with Garrett and his husband and Garrett's mom and his husband's mom and dad and sometimes his husband's family. And we sit around and we eat and I bring dessert and we play cards against humanity. And it's just amazing that I could, you know, leave a really complicated family and find a place so willingly and happy to accept me in somebody else's home for the holidays. And, you know, the food is incredible. It's mind blowing all the time, but the people are what truly make it special. Yeah, I love that. And like finding your you totally found your place for the holidays, which I feel like, yes, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but then it's all I'm talking about. But so totally. many times, <laughs> so many times we compromise our holidays because we think they're supposed to be a certain way or we're scared to say no. So kudos to you for 
finding the right one. <laughs> Thank I love you. That. Yeah, holidays are way less stressful now. I actually look forward to them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, we're recording. We're recording this before and airing it after. But I we do make sushi on Thanksgiving in my house. Oh my God! It's, you know, I think it changed everything. On nothing but sushi, I would live forever. <laughs> yes, we it changed. We 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 did it one year because we wanted to learn how to make it, and so we don't make it very much, but we always make it on Thanksgiving. It's good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right, my dear. Thank you so much for being here. And Thank you for having me, Mia. This is a lot of fun. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed that talk with Steph as much as I did. It was super fun. To, to talk with her. I forgot to mention in the intro that I hope it didn't feel choppy at any point in there, but when we were actually doing this recording, my electricity went out twice. So that was three conversations sort of spliced together. So if there was any awkward in that, I apologize, but that's what happened. That's life. So at the end of every episode, I talk about three doable changes from the episode that you could put into your life to really make those things happen. So here are the three that Steph shared with us. Number one is get one tool you love. And what better time than the Christmas season for this, right? And I think this is really, that one is really important because you don't need 10. And I think it's really tempting at this time of year to walk into those stores and see you know, whole bags of stuff. But really, if you focus on, I really need a great spatula right now, or I really need a great pot or a slow cooker, um, it's really, really, really impactful to let one thing in at a time. So lots of things make cooking easier, right? I just named a few, but also knives, like getting a great knife. And Steph mentioned which one in the podcast. I said a slow cooker, um, a hand blender are two other ones that Steph mentioned. I love the Vitamix. I love my pressure cooker. And my one thing for right now is the Instapot. But as that comes in, I have to figure out what's going to go out. So it's really important also get one tool you love and let go of one thing that's not serving you anymore. All right. That is a doable change for a week. A second one you could experiment with is add a little salt. So a little salt goes a long way. And as Steph says, it can be the difference between hating a salad dressing you make or loving it. So she recommends a half a teaspoon of salt for two cups of dressing. So she also says that she adds a pinch to her morning smoothie, which I also do. And try adding a little salt to something you don't normally salt and see what changes. So the thing I find with that morning smoothie, so I put a pinch, like the teeniest bit of salt into my chocolate smoothie um, when I have a chocolate smoothie in the morning and it just, it activates the sweetness. So it really is, it's not like we need to eat more salt because we know we don't need to eat more salt nutritionally, but it's just this little pinch that offsets the sweet and it just makes our mouth happier. So it tastes better. Okay. So you could experiment with that for a week. If you're really not liking your cooking, play around with where the salt gets added, you know, and where it doesn't. And play around with different kinds of salts if you always have the same one. There's lots of things that you could play around with in adding a little salt. Okay, number three, make compound butter. So sometimes what gets in the way of eating real food is feeling like it lacks flavor, especially if you're used to more processed foods. So Steph talks about making compound butter as a super basic sauce. So you've got to use her ratio, a fourth a pound of butter, plus three tablespoons of a fresh herb, plus one teaspoon of a spice. And you, what you do is, you, she explains it in the podcast, but you roll it up and you make this butter and then you slice it off and you put that on top of your food and it, it's like a, the sauce for your food. So in the sort of more... In the health world, butter, a lot of people say doesn't affect them and it makes them feel good. Ghee would be sort of the more Ayurvedic thing to use um, and is great if you can process it. Um, so there's three in my household, which ghee is fine for, but the two of us who don't do dairy, it doesn't work, still work, but you could use a coconut butter. Um, I go to a health food store and I ask for the coconut butter that doesn't taste coconutty. Um, and that's really a really helpful um, tool to, to have because then it, it is 
feel it doesn't the coconut taste doesn't overpower what you're making. And don't forget, Steph's cheat sheets are a great way to learn all about those combos with compound butters, among like a thousand other things. They're really great. So those are my three three doable chains. Oh my God, that was a tongue twister from this episode. Don't forget that I have a hundred other ones where those come from. We're going to be updating that document soon because I realize actually that we have gone over a hundred episodes and we started doable changes probably at like episode 50. So we have a lot of great doable changes from other people that we are going to be adding into that document um, so that you have one list that you can look at each Sunday, choose something to work on, have fun with it, experiment with it, and make your life a little healthier and a little happier each week. All right, you guys, I'll see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. Bye for now. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple Meals podcast. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to share Plan Simple Meals with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at iTunes. I absolutely love sharing simple solutions to help busy families eat clean and live well. Visit HealthyMomsMeetup.com and come join in on the fun. In our free group, you can chat with me and other health-seeking moms, get new recipes and tips, and never be at a loss in the kitchen again. Come join the fun at HealthyMomsMeetup.com. I cannot wait to meet you there.